He said, everywhere you go, any shop, even a small grocery store, there's a police outside and they search you. They pat you down. There are approximately three security officials, official security officials for every individual in that area. So there are just literally police everywhere, just everywhere. And they just harass you. The point is, it's just pure harassment. Show the Uyghurs who you are! Takbir! Show the Uyghurs who you are! Show the Uyghurs who you are! Takbir! Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahi wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een amma ba'd. Firstly, a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Wallahu fi awni al-abdi ma kana al-abdu fi awni akhi. Allah is in the assistance of his servants as long as they're in the assistance uh, of uh, other believers. So our standing here in the cold, some people may be getting restless. I started feeling cold as well. But when you think of these things, then inshallah, it spurs you on. This is the minimum that we can actually do compared to uh, what the, our brothers and sisters are actually going through. Uh, mashallah, there's been many, many discussions. I don't want to bore you with, uh, I, I want to try to provide you a, an eyewitness account of one of my students who actually visited about two years ago. He stayed in that area for two, two, two weeks. He stayed in that area for two weeks. And this was in uh, the two main cities, the two main Muslim cities of the area called Kashgar and uh, Urumqi. And uh, what he says is that all the masjids are destroyed. So they've been shut down or they've been completely erased or destroyed. There's only a few very old, centuries old masjids that have been left as museums now. They can only be visited as museums. And even for that, you need like special permits and things like that. So you cannot pray down there in public anyway. You can only pray in private, in secret. Now, the most interesting thing is that he's in that mainly Muslim area for two weeks. They only managed to engage briefly three people to speak to them, but that's even just briefly. One of them was a, a bit of a younger person. And as soon as they started talking to him, he answered one or two questions and said, I have to go. Uh, other people, they, they make salam. Most people are Muslim, you can tell by the hats. As soon as you make salam, they're kind of like, don't even make salam. It's like they're, they're cheating in an exam or something like that. So they don't even say, wa alaikum salam. They just kind of carry on. When they came to Kashgar airport, when they flew into Kashgar airport, a row of taxis, but nobody's willing to take them. Like, we, don't, we can't have your business. We don't want your business. They finally had to walk it to the hotel, which is about like, 20 minutes with their luggage. The second person was actually a taxi driver in town who slightly opened up to them. He said, my official answer I must give you is that everything's okay. But it's not okay. My sister's been in deten detention for about nine months and we've not heard from her. She was pregnant when she got inside. The third person was uh, at the hotel they stayed in. So they had a bit more time with him. He opened up a bit more. He said, I can't pray. I can't pray in front of any of the other employees either. Somebody may report me. In fact, he doesn't even know how to pray properly because there's no Islamic education. There's a suppression of Islamic education. There's no Qurans in that entire area. You're not allowed to have a Quran. You can't buy a Quran. You can't have a Quran. You can't hold a Quran. I mean, if somebody is hidden one somewhere like they did in Uzbekistan, you know, uh, 50 years ago, 70 years ago, maybe that's what it is. Complete eradication. 
The other thing is that in the two weeks, 90% of the people that they saw were over 45 and 50. Very few children and very few youth. It's like they've been transferred elsewhere, they're either in camps or they're in other parts of China, relocated or whatever. The idea probably is to sterilize the people who are there, leave the older ones there, let them finally die out, let them not practice their faith, let them not have any access to their faith and so on. There are, he said, everywhere you go, any shop, even a small grocery store, there's a police outside and they search you. They pat you down. There are approximately three security officials, official security officials for every individual in that area. So there are just literally police everywhere, just everywhere. And they just harass you. The point is, it's just pure harassment. They wanted to, they, they, were, they were visited in their hotel room. Uh, why did you go the X place and this place and that place? They stayed there for two weeks. Then, if you want to go out of these towns, the taxi drivers won't take you. It's like they know what it is. He asked, uh, he asked the hotel, uh, that person in the hotel, what is prohibited items and what are permissible items? He says, there's no way you can tell that. It's left purposely vague so that you would just avoid having something because you could just get into trouble for that. It's just proper nuisance, absolute nuisance. And uh, it's worse for those who've actually been taken inside and so on. Now, I just been to the Balkans and what's interesting in the Balkans is that they also went through something similar. Not sure of the exact details, maybe different, but when the Ottomans left in the early 1900s, Islam has been in the Balkans for about 300 years or so. But in the 1900s, when the Ottomans had to leave, and then uh, it was the Serbian, Yugoslav, etc., or the, a bit of communism and so on that came in, Islam became uncool. It was uh, once these guys in, uh, in Turkestan, uh, they saw an advertisement for an Islamic program that there's going to be an Islamic dance or something at night. So they said the first time they've actually seen a promotion of an Islamic program. Let's go and check it out just for the sake of it. When they got there, it was actually these people with props, fake beards, fake hijabs, just making a mockery. So essentially what they're resorting to is to make a mockery of Islam. Uh, an Imam in the Balkans uh, in, Monte, uh, in Montenegro told us when he arrived there 20 to 25 years ago, that town is a 90 something percent Muslim. They won't marry Christians. They are Muslim, but you can't tell the difference. He said, 20 years ago, if I said Assalamu Alaikum, they would not say Wa Alaikum Assalam because they're scared. It's uncool. It's inferior. Alhamdulillah, now it's much better. Seven or eight people used to come to the Jumu'ahs in the Balkans. Now, Alhamdulillah, he says, the masjids are full. That Alhamdulillah. Allahu Akbar. In the whole of Mont in the whole of Montenegro, there's only five Hufas, five people who have memorized the Quran. They've never had a Taraweeh with a full Quran in living history. Alhamdulillah. Now though, they have a Hibs Madrasa in the capital. So now, inshallah, they'll produce them. These are ups and downs. I think everybody should read a book called Saviors of Islamic Spirit by Sheikh Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi. It will give us hope because he shows the ups and downs the heights and the lows of the Muslim Ummah from the Prophet's time down to us. For example, I give you one example of Baghdad. Baghdad was the Darul Khilafah under the Abbasids. It was the center of the Muslim government of the world. But when the Mongols came in, they killed a million Muslims there. A million Muslims were massacred. Even the Khalif himself, 
was rolled up in a carpet and beaten to death so that his blood wouldn't touch the floor. They had some superstitious belief about that. A million people. But Alhamdulillah, things came back. Let us make dua. Let us keep doing our best. Sometimes we get confused that what should we do? What can we do? We feel helpless. Helplessness sets in. And that is really bad. We cannot outsource this to Mahdi radiallahu anhu. When the Mahdi radiallahu anhu comes, that'll be for a reason. We're not waiting for him. He will come when the time is right. Our deaths are closer to us. These, these problems in the world, these carnages, ethnic cleansing, they're taking place. Mahdi radiallahu anhu may not come in our time. Maybe much, much later according to many calculations. We need to do what we can do. So this is what I would suggest that we try to do the best we can. Ask Allah, oh Allah, accept us for whatever you think, whatever you know that I can do, whatever I can be helpful in based on the capabilities that I have, based on where I am. Oh Allah, accept me for the service of your deen. That's the minimum that we can do. Coming here, standing in the cold is another thing. Other, uh, whatever else there is that others will inshallah guide you on. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remove their suffering. Ameen. And may Allah make it quick and Ameen. early. And Allah make us instrumental in assisting others and protect us all. Wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi 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 wa